previously on Saturday Morning's Nicktoons. I broke down the first half of the premiere episode of X-Men the Animated Series from 1992, the largest foundational piece of my X-Men fandom. In that episode, I also discussed the premiere and why it came out on Halloween of 1992. This episode, we are going to cover part two or episode two from X-Men the Animated Series called Night of the Sentinels, part two. So on the previous episode, we talked about Night of the Sentinels Part 1 and how this two-part episode premiered on October 31st, 1992. Originally, this show was supposed to premiere in September. They changed it to a special preview in September, and when that fell through, they managed to move the two-part premiere to Halloween of 1992. It aired in primetime, so Halloween night. Unfortunately, I was not actually able to watch it live. Uh, As a seven-year-old boy, I was out trick-or-treating on Halloween night, 1992. So I had to record this with a VCR off the television, and I was able to watch it then. I also have a somewhat small retraction of uh, what I had said in last episode, where I talked about the fact that Batman the Animated Series also premiered on October 31st, 1992. And though that is somewhat correct, it's not factual. On Leather Wings, which is the episode that's considered to be the premiere episode, uh, that one did release on October 31st, 1992. However, in September, unlike with X-Men, Batman the Animated Series was able to have a two-part kind of like teaser premiere in which the uh, two-part episode, The Cat and the Claw, premiered. So we actually had like The Cat and the Claw come out like September 3rd or September 5th, somewhere around there of 1992. Um, And then the rest of the season was actually pushed back. On Leather Wings premiered October 31st. And then I think the next episode didn't actually come out until around December. And they had actually moved an episode way up in the production and and the release which was the uh, Christmas with the Joker episode, uh, which is why on the DVD, if you have the DVDs, On Leather Wings is the first episode, and then the second episode is uh, Christmas with the Joker. So kind of odd, but that is how it went down. So I, I misspoke a little bit when I said that it was also the premiere for Batman the Animated Series. Turns out that wasn't quite the case. So let's get on to the episode. The episode opens right where the first one left off. Cyclops, Rogue, and Gambit are outside the mutant control agency 
monitoring the mission. Storm, Beast, Morph, and Wolverine are inside to carry out their mission, which is to destroy the mutant registration files. Team Psych spies possible reinforcements, reinforcements pardon me, arriving outside while Team Storm manages to locate the files after Morph waylays some guards. So during this sequence, there's a scene where Storm is going to open a door into a corridor, but we, the audience, sees inside the corridor is a group of armed guards, and I swear in the original broadcast and the VHS, when we see this corridor with guards at the end of season one, and then when we see them again at the beginning of part two, they're wearing like different clothes. Like I'm pretty sure at the end of part one, we get like a little flash into this hallway, this corridor, and they're wearing like red armor. And then in the beginning of part two, we see again, this like flash into the corridor and they're wearing like green uniforms. Um, but on Disney plus and also on the DVD release, they're wearing the green uniforms in both the end of part one and the beginning of part two. So I could be remembering it wrong, but I'm pretty sure uh, that in the VHS and the original broadcast, there was a, a bit of a disconnect there and they actually animated the wrong uh, guards into the sequence. So if anyone, anyone knows for a fact, if I'm correct or not, let me know, but I'm pretty sure uh, that happened. So meanwhile, Team Cyclops has engaged the guards outside in diversionary combat, allowing Team Storm to access the files and destroy them. Morph keeps lookout, commenting, looks like clear sailing from here, while Beast destroys the digital files, and Wolverine and Storm delete the hard copies. However... Before their task is complete, the scene shifts to Detroit, Michigan, and we check in on Jubilee. She's being held captive and is being interrogated by the suit-wearing villain from Part 1, his anti-mutant bigotry on full display. I can't remember if they ever reveal his name in Part 1, but we learn here his name is Henry Peter Gyrick, and he runs the Mutant Control Agency. While confronting Jubilee, he is then confronted by Dr. Bolivar Trask, who is the engineer and creator of the Sentinels. And Dr. Trask is accosting Mr. Gyrick for moving their plans ahead too quickly. The original plan is that no one would move against the mutants until they had at least a hundred Sentinels. But in this case, Gyrick moved forward when they only had a handful of Sentinels operational. But before we can get too far into the exchange, it's interrupted when Gyrick receives a call that the MCA is under attack and our scene shifts back to the X-Men. We see that Team Cyclops is making quick work of the guards and Cyclops radios into Storm so she could tell her team to pull out. Of course, like I'm skipping over a lot of really great one-liners here. Like Gambit and Rogue are just full of all these zingers. Um, even Cyclops has a couple of uh, one-liners here and there. 
Um, and there's also like a lot of really great action. We get to see Gambit charging his cards and using them to blow up. Cyclops using his optic blasts a bunch. Rogue displaying both her super strength and her awesome ability to fly. I mean, it's nothing new. We got to see a lot of this stuff in part one anyway during the mall fight. Uh, but it's fun to see him here again, like in the field, going up against a bunch of different, they're like blowing up tanks and uh, taking out guards and stuff. So a lot of really great action sequences with some really fun one-liners that you would expect from an action cartoon. Either way, the two teams reconnect and make their way to the Blackbird, which is the X-Men's jet. Now, I know in some of my podcasts, I refer to it as the X-Jet, but the reason why they call it the Blackbird in the cartoon and also the reason why it was called the Blackbird in the comics is because the that was the name of the plane. The plane that the X-Men used was an SR-71 Blackbird that was created by Lockheed, which of course is also why Kitty's dragon is named Lockheed because it was the maker of the Blackbird and it was a name that stuck with her. Now, I know this because my dad used to work for Lockheed, so there you go. So when the X-Men are making their retreat to the Blackbird, this is where things take a turn for the worse. Before the X-Men can reach their means of escape, they are intercepted by not one, not two, but several Sentinels. I think I counted something like five Sentinels in this scene. Naturally, Wolverine steps up and is quickly flanked by a group of Sentinels, Morph, seeing his buddy is being targeted for a blast, runs to Wolverine to intervene. The sentinel who was targeting Wolverine lets loose with his blast, and we see the blast fly out of its hand, and then the scene changes before the blast can land. We're back at the X-Mansion. Jean and Xavier are in the Cerebro room. Jean is wearing a Cerebro helmet, we cut to like a close-up of her face where she lets out a horrified scream and rips off the Cerebro helmet. Xavier implores her, what is it? Jean simply responds, it's Morph. Can't you feel it? So at that point, Xavier comes over, puts the helmet on himself, says Morph. And then a sad look upon his face. We cue some sad music and Xavier responds, I don't sense anything. The sad music continues to play and we are taken outside the mansion to see the Blackbird arriving home. Cyclops exits somberly, Storm cries alone in the cockpit, and Wolverine follows Cyclops out to sucker punch him in the stomach. Jean appears on the scene and confirms Beast has been taken prisoner and Morph is dead. And wow. <laughs> Seriously, this moment right here. A lead character is killed off in the premiere episode of a kid's cartoon, and that just that blew my mind. I mean, I'm sure that blew the mind of every kid that watched this episode. Even the teens and the adults that were watching this were probably like, holy cow, they killed off like one of the main X-Men. And this was a kid's cartoon. Anyway, Wolverine heads to the garage, turns Cyclops' reasonable family sedan into a convertible, and jumps into his Jeep and leaves. 
as he's leaving the mansion, he's driving away. We kind of close up on his face and Wolverine kind of plays out the battle in his head. So we kind of flash back to the battle and now we get to see from the point where Morfield Wolverine pull back and then it cut to the X mansion. Now we get to go back and pick up the action right where we left off. So now we get to see what went down. We see that Morph takes the blast that was meant for Wolverine. Upon seeing this, Beast flies into a rage and charges at the Sentinels, and he is also immediately hit with a blast that knocks him flying all the way back into an electric fence at the MCA headquarters. The remaining X-Men are quickly overwhelmed, though they manage to get to the Blackbird. Wolverine refuses to leave, but Rogue saps his energy and the X-Men beat their hasty retreat. Um, also, in this sequence, we get a lot more really great action. We get to see Cyclops using his blast. Uh, this time, we actually kind of get to see Storm cut loose. Although we saw her cut loose a little bit at the mall scene in the first episode, we didn't really get to see her do much in battle other than like blow some wind around and stuff. So this one, we get to see her flying on the wind. We get to see some lightning and stuff. Uh, so it's a little bit better and we kind of see that her and cyclops are set up here as equals um, while they're on the battlefield they kind of run their quick plans by each other um, and you can see that cyclops at this point is pretty much treating storm as an equal which is really great this show uh, does a really good job of showing that both cyclops and storm at times are in charge of the team and more than capable of being leaders and co-leaders so the recollection ends and Wolverine pulls over his Jeep and he goes and he stands on a cliff and he sits there quietly for a few seconds and he vows revenge. He says, I will avenge you. So then we're treated to a few quick scenes. One shows Beast being captured. The next shows his imprisonment. And we see that he is being interrogated by Gyrick, but he is really not cooperating. He's just kind of sitting there saying like, I don't have anything to say. Um, and so we're then taken to a television screen and we see the president giving a political address where she introduces the Sentinels. So I don't know, other than the title of the episode, if they're ever actually referred to as Sentinels in part one. I don't remember. Um, and I don't think they were referred to as Sentinels up to this point, uh, except for by the president. I think maybe Trask mentioned it, but the X-Men obviously weren't privy to that conversation. So we see that the X-Men were watching the president's address and they learn the name of these robots, they're Sentinels. It then kicks off to a different TV broadcast. This one is an address by Senator Kelly. And we see that this TV is being watched in a bar, a bar where Wolverine is trying to shoot some pool. He makes a comment about turning this crap off and a couple of the human patrons that are in there also trying to uh, shoot some pull begin harassing Wolverine and saying that he's like a freak and a freak lover and all that. But right before they can really get into a big fight, Wolverine pops his claws, but Cyclops kind of bursts onto the scene. He's tracked Wolverine down and he offers him the chance to locate the Sentinel's home base. Another quick cut, this one to the White House, where we actually see that Gyrick is meeting with the president, where she tells him to shut down all of his mutant registration activities.
as he's leaving, he gets a call from Jubilee's adopted father, who is reporting to Gyrick that someone is at their house asking questions about Jubilee. Gyrick angrily says into the phone, keep him there as long as you can. And then the scene, the, the scene shifts, <laughs> tripping over my words here, the scene shifts to Jubilee's house, and we see that Cyclops is there talking to Jubilee's adopted mother and father. He's explaining to them that Jubilee was taken by the Sentinels that the president was talking about, and that is enough of a shock where the dad now feels guilty that he called Gyrick, and he tells Cyclops, hey, look, you have to leave right away. Uh, some guy was here and told us to call him. If anyone was asking questions about Jubilee, I called him and he's on his way, so you have to leave. And Cyclops is like, hey, don't worry about it. I'll go ahead and leave, no problem. And he does. He goes ahead and he walks outside, and before he even gets to the sidewalk, he is accosted by a lone sentinel. The sentinel comes up to him and says, halt, mutant, to which Cyclops refers, okay. And then after a wry pause, he responds with, not. Because Cyclops, 90s Cyclops, was pretty cool. He was in the know when it came to the super hip 90s lingo. I think only Dr. Evil was as cool with the 90s lingo as Cyclops was. Anyway, after Cyclops' awesome joke, he pulls up his visor. Well, I guess it's his glasses at this point, And he blasts off the Sentinel's arm. Like the whole arm of the Sentinel, he just blasts it off. Which is awesome because the first time we see Cyclops, it takes one blast and he beheads a Sentinel. The next time we see Cyclops shooting his blast at the Sentinels, it barely even knocks them down. It certainly doesn't damage them or make them lose any limbs or anything. But then now, he blasts an entire arm off. So, uh, little discrepancies with the power of his optic blasts here, or at least the defenses of the Sentinels. But we'll just say that the Sentinel legs are really, really strong, and their necks and shoulders aren't. And that's probably good enough. Anyway, he blasts off the arm of the Sentinel, and the Sentinel immediately takes to the sky to return to its base, with the X-Men, who anticipated the trap and thus set their own, in hot pursuit. Next, we cut to the Detroit base once again, and see the Sentinel assembly line being overseen by Dr. Trask. It's in an abandoned headquarters of U.S. Motors. So I have to assume that at one point, U.S. Motors went out of business and uh, probably because of assembly lines, you know, there's like no workforce or anything. So Trask and Gyrick were able to get this probably pretty cheap and uh, repurpose that assembly line to build Sentinels and not gas guzzling SUVs. Gyrick comes in and he tells Trask that they've been shut down that the registration program is over and that the Sentinels will probably be shut down next. So he says, we're gonna move the base overseas. And it's at that moment that the damaged Sentinel arrives, crashing in, landing on what appears to be the power generator and shorting out power to the entire plant. Now this power shortage allows Jubilee to break free of her bonds, use her fireworks to blow a hole in the wall and try to escape. Unfortunately for her, she escapes onto the assembly line floor and she is quickly surrounded by fully functional sentinels. Luckily for her, the X-Men have arrived and begun their siege. A fun action sequence sees the 
X-Men exercising some of their personal demons as they take out their frustrations of the loss of Morph on all of these various Sentinels, and they manage to end up destroying like all of them. And I think each individual X-Man, they each take out like at least one Sentinel, I think. Um, I didn't like, I, I should have taken notes. I should have like written down which X-Men actually defeat Sentinels. I know that Wolverine just scratches one to, I, I'm not to death, but like scratches one into uh, Oblivion. I know Storm like hits one with a lightning bolt that makes all of its limbs pop off. Pretty sure Cyclops takes a couple out. And uh, I think the same goes for Gambit and Rogue, but I'm not sure. Either way, after all the Sentinels are destroyed, we have to assume that the X-Men also destroyed the assembly lines and shut down the plant because the scene actually changes to our final scene. It is a tearful goodbye between Jubilee and her foster parents. They ask her if she'll ever come back and visit. Jubilee answers their question with possibly the best question answering question of all time, which is, does a mall babe eat chili fries? After that, she hops into a cab to head to the Xavier Institute. She arrives, rings the doorbell, the door opens, and she goes inside. The episode ends, and everybody's happy, except the fact that no one's happy because Morph is dead. Um, in between those two scenes with, with Jubilee getting into the cab and then Jubilee getting out of the cab, we have a small moment of candor between Cyclops and Gene, where Cyclops asks Gene, if he's done the right thing. And she says, we all did. So I think he's looking for comfort because he too is feeling the guilt of Morph's death. It's a nice little touch because up to this point, we don't really see Cyclops being emotional. He's just saying like, I'm not going to apologize for command decisions. We did what we had to do this and that. And so he was kind of coming off as this like unemotional, not robot. Obviously those are the Sentinels, but like just this very detached leader and this one little moment that we get here uh, really goes a long way to, I wouldn't say fixing his character, but at least adding a layer of relatability to his character. Probably not something I ever picked up on as a kid, uh, but as an adult, I see why they put that like little 30 second scene in there. It's because up to this point, you know, Wolverine's been wearing his heart on his sleeve. Even Gambit seems to be sad. You know, Rogue doesn't really seem to have an opinion, uh, but we do see beast crying about morph at one point when he's imprisoned and we see storm crying we see gene crying we see xavier looking distraught you know when they all realize that morph has been killed and really the only one that hasn't really shown any emotion is cyclops so it's good to get this scene where you know he's asking the woman that he loves you know did i do the right thing so that is the end of Night of the Sentinels Part 2, and that is the end of the two-part premiere, Night of the Sentinels. And wow, like, I think as an adult going back and like re-watching this cartoon and re-watching Batman the Animated Series, I would say that Batman the Animated Series is a much more mature show that could be enjoyed by children and adults equally. Uh, but Rewatching X-Men the Animated Series, there's so many small moments like this Cyclops moment. They really add a lot of additional emotion and a lot more maturity to the show than I think I ever realized was in there. Um, certainly not when I was watching it as a kid 
and probably not my last like rewatch when all of these came out on DVD back in what, 2008, 2009. Uh, that was like the last time I really sat down and kind of binged these all back to back. Usually when I watch them now, I just throw on like the episodes that I love the most or whatever. Um, I, I own the series on iTunes and then I also have uh, Disney plus. So I have all the episodes like at the touch of a button. So I generally don't go back and like binge the whole thing. Uh, but going back and like rewatching them and kind of writing down what's happening and, and trying to break it down. I really do see the amount of emotion and the maturity that is in this show. Um, even if like the artwork and the animation don't quite hold up as well as Batman, the animated series does. I definitely think that X-Men, the animated series is up there in, uh, in maturity and all that. So that is the episode now, last episode, after we finished the breakdown, I introduced the primary members of the main cast. We broke down all of the voice actors that play the X-Men characters. And as new characters get introduced, new major characters, I should say, characters like Magneto and Apocalypse and Mystique and, and you know, those recurring villains that show up quite a bit, then we can introduce those actors then. Um, but I want to take just a few minutes and talk about some of the creative folks behind this show. Now, this episode itself, both parts, was written by a man named Mark Edward Edens, who went on to write several episodes of this show, and who had, prior to this show, a vast career writing cartoon episodes. The episode was edited, the story editor was Eric Leewald, who I've mentioned before, uh, I mentioned on the last episode, in today's parlance, he would be considered the showrunner. But back then, his credits would have included developed for television by and executive story editor. But Eric served as the showrunner. Ultimately, the buck stopped with him when it came to any decision regarding the show. He worked directly with his producers, directly with his writers, directly with <laughs> directly directly with his director. Uh, so he was in charge pretty much from day one and oversaw the entirety of this series and. As I mentioned, the director, the director of this episode and every episode in season one, and I believe almost every episode of the show itself was a man named Larry Houston. So Eric Leewald came to this show. He had a previous relationship with Margaret Lesh, who was the president of Fox Kids and was the driving force behind getting the X-Men cartoon greenlit in the first place. Uh, they had worked together in the past, I believe, on... Uh, Muppet Babies. I'm probably getting that wrong. I know that uh, Eric Leewald also worked on the Beetlejuice cartoon that was happening around this time that also featured the voice talents of Allison Court, who plays Jubilee. And he was also, I believe, the showrunner for Exo Squad, which was another 90s uh, sci-fi cartoon that, <laughs> that I enjoyed as a kid, had a couple of the toys and stuff. Although I was always bummed that the scale of the action figures was a lot smaller because 
it was a figure plus like an exo suit, you know, a big robotic suit. So the figures themselves were actually pretty small. Otherwise they would have been fairly expensive. But as a kid, I was always disappointed that like I couldn't throw Wolverine into one of these like exo suits and, and, you know, mix and match, but that's neither here nor there. So Eric is the show runner. And then uh, Larry Houston is the director. Now I know that Larry Houston also worked on pride of the X-Men. Um, I think maybe he was the director of that pilot as well. And so he had worked with Margaret Lesh before uh, the creation of this show as well. So it was kind of like a match made in heaven. A bunch of people that had worked together before were comfortable with working with one another. And uh, despite the fact that none of them really had any major hits prior to this, they all felt that same drive to make this a great show. And it helped that uh, Larry Houston was also a huge comic book fan, particularly of the X-Men. So his expertise actually became pretty influential and uh, quite necessary on the direction of this series. So that's about all the information I want to throw at you guys right now regarding these three men. Obviously, as we go through uh, this wonderful series, there will be a lot more people credited with various aspects that uh, deserve recognition as well. So we will get into that in future episodes. So Bubs, that does it for this episode of Saturday Morning Snicktoons. I do have a quick announcement. As of right now, I'm planning to cover, after this episode, the next three episodes of X-Men the Animated Series on my own. That would be Enter Magneto, Deadly Reunions, and Captive Hearts. After that, beginning with episode six, Cold Vengeance, I will be implementing a new host slash guest host feature. And I'm pleased to say that right now I have booked my first guest to cover Cold Vengeance, and that is Brett Scott from Marvel Plus. So go check out his show and be sure to tune in for all of the upcoming shows. I've got a pretty sweet range of uh, other guest hosts that I've got booked for the rest of season one. And I'm looking forward to uh, diving through the rest of the series and bringing on some fellow X-Men fans to talk about just how great this show was and uh, breaking down some episodes. So Bub, stay tuned uh, and listen to this awesome track that's coming up, which is called Back from the Dead by a very talented musician called Retcon X. Until next time, Bubs. <laughs>